Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. We're going to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We're going to hang out there. We'll jump off from there and move around uh, and circle back in 28 minutes or less. Uh, but I make no promises. We're coming off of Easter, which now feels like, I don't know about you, like for me, there's, there's a lot of energy and effort that goes into two things, Christmas and Easter. Easter is one of those really big ones. And then it feels like we, we get to Easter, we celebrate Easter, and then here's what happens generally. There's always a holiday hangover, so generally people don't come to church the next week after Easter, because uh, like, wow, there's a lot of stuff going on. And then we're kind of in this zone where we're just ready to move past it. But I don't know about you, but I'm just not quite ready to move past Easter. And... And I'm not ready to move past Easter because right after Jesus was resurrected, that that initial weekend, he hung out for another six weeks. And he would appear to people, and it was awesome. There's like locked rooms, and he would like show up into a locked room, and like, whoa! And there was Jesus. And then he'd walk through a wall, and they're like, did that just happen? And then they'd be walking along the road, and he'd show up, and he'd be like, hey, And he wouldn't say who he was, and he let them have a whole conversation. And then all of a sudden, they were like, is that Jesus? Jesus just kept showing up. He showed up at different times to different people, small groups, big groups. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us he showed up to a group of like 500 people. There's all these different occurrences that happened for 40-some days after the resurrection. And Jesus is just like, listen, guys, I just need you to know one important truth. I'm here. And he was just setting the stage for what happened next because unequivocally, the number of times that he showed up and the number of times he showed up in documented, secular, historical documents is amazing, including the testimony of Jesus showing up after his crucifixion. Some might call it a great scandal. I call it a scandal of grace. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's just the power of Jesus Christ at work. I want us to go to John 21 because this is literally my favorite Jesus coming back moment. John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, seven disciples are hanging out together. I don't know why it was seven. I don't even know if seven was significant. I just know that there was seven of them. They're named at the beginning. And, and, And what I love about this moment is that it's like a full circle moment. Let's just jump into it. John 21, verse 3. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Simon Peter, who's Peter, says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Now, I don't know why they were going fishing. It says, we'll come too, they said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. I don't know why these seven disciples decided to go fishing. Maybe uh, they decided to go fishing for a good time. They're like, we're going to go out. We're going to relax. We're going to fish all night. That sounds like something that somebody would do. It also sounds about right that they caught nothing. So they're out there fishing. Maybe they were fishing. Maybe they were just like, let's go do something that we can like process. Let's do a passive behavior that doesn't take a lot of thinking. Like for me, when I'm really trying to do deep thinking, I like doing uh, somewhat mindless tasks that I can just do. Like my favorite way to process for, for a message is like grilling meat or washing a vehicle. 
Because it's just a task that I can just do on autopilot. I don't think about it, but my brain is just going in a mile a minute. Maybe they're going, listen, let's just process. We've seen Jesus a few times. Let's just like, let's just like spend some time together and let's just do, let's just do this. Or there's a whole nother stream of thought. Let's go fishing. Why? Well, we just gave three years of our life to Jesus. He died. Now he's resurrected. But we don't have the same pull that we used to have. We don't have the same way to, to attract crowds that we used to have. People, in fact, were maybe a little bit toxic to some people. They don't want us to come in. They don't want us to, to come around. Uh, we can't do that. So let's go back to what we used to do. Let's go back. I don't know which one it is. But at dawn, in verse 4, Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas. Have you caught any fish? No, said every fisherman ever. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there was so many fish in it. Now you might be thinking to yourself, I think I've heard this story before. Have you preached this before? No, the reason why you're flashing back is because this is the exact same thing that happened when Jesus called the disciples. This is a, what we call a full, cir full circle flashback moment where when Jesus called them, and you can find the story in the beginning of Mark and in the Gospels where Jesus called the disciples. They didn't even know really who he was. He was borrowing a boat to teach in it. They were fishing all night. They go out in the dark. They're fishing. They come back in. The, he's like, throw your nets on the other side. They're like, okay, cool. You talk for a living. We fish for a living. But whatever. They do it, and, and they, they get so many fish that their nets just start ripping and tearing. And then Jesus says to them, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So for them, this is like a flashback moment. For them in that moment, they're like, oh, this is like full. That, hold, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Then, verse 7. The disciple Jesus loved said to Peter. Now, this is, just, this is just fun. Anytime you're reading the Gospel of John, John likes to refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I'm like, either you have an incredible confidence, or you're trying to like convince us, or you just live out of this place in your identity that says, I know so deeply that I am loved by God, that I'm loved by Jesus, that I just can't help but mention it every once in a while. So John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. So it doesn't really make sense. He's getting the water. He's putting his shirt back on. I don't know. He jumped into the water. He headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled in the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Come on. Breakfast waiting. That's why if you're taking notes today, today's message is called Brunch on the Beach. Because if I have to have like an encounter with Jesus, I'm taking brunch on the beach every time. So Jesus showed up, he, he's like, he's also cooking over charcoal, so he's like, he's pulling out all the flavors, he's developing the flavors, but now get this, if you didn't think that this was not like a nostalgia-filled flashback moment, you don't even get it, because what was he fit cooking for them? There was some fish cooking over a charcoal fire, not what they had caught, some fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. 
So get this, when Jesus shows up to them to be like, hey, I'm back. He's cooking them loaves and fishes. So he's calling them. He's like, listen, I'm here. Go put your net on the other side. When you get to the beach, got breakfast, it's loaves and fishes. Remember that thing that I multiplied? Remember that thing where I showed you what truly, uh, what this looks like, the, the power of God at work, that, and just remind you that you're going to see greater things? Then Jesus says to them in verse 10, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Peter went aboard and he dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. That seems like a lot of fish to me in a single net. Large fish, I don't know. Like, I, I watch Wicked Tuna. So, like, what kind of large fish are we talking about? I don't know. Are, like, are these, like, 300-pounders? Like, what are these things? Like, what's the core sample? I don't know. They've got 153 large fish, and the net hadn't torn. So Peter just walks over. He's like, just go get some fish. He walks over to the boat, and he just pulls this entire large net, which is like overflowing with fish. Now, flash back to that first moment. The last time this happened, they caught so many fish that the nets started tearing, that they started ripping. So right here, another, in the moment of this like flashback nostalgia thing, I'm back, let's get together, let's have some brunch on the beach moment, Another little miracle, because the net does not rip. And you're like, I don't understand why this matters. Why? Because the last time when Jesus called them without Jesus, every time he does something and he moves and he does something amazing, in our own human capacity, everything inside of us rips and tears. But when Jesus is involved, when he's called you to it, when he says, listen, I'm going to call you up into your destiny. I'm going to call you up out of where you are into what I have for you. When you believe me, when you walk with me, another little miracle, moment by moment by moment, your net's not going to tear. I got you. It was just this little tip of the cap as if to say, I got you. I got you. I wonder how many times in our lives these little moments, these little miracle moments, these little things happen. We use words like coincidence and deja vu. I wonder how many times Jesus is like, no, this is what I just call a full circle flashback moment where I'm just reminding you that we've been here before, but things are different now. And things are different now because I'm here. Things are different now because I'm involved. You wouldn't have walked through that situation before. When you try and handle it on your own before, things wreck, things tear, things are broken. But now that I'm involved, Things are different. Things are different. He just is reminding us. And, and sometimes, you know, we read these moments like, well, this is so great for them. No, this is so great for us because Jesus Christ, who conquered the grave, he's resurrected. He is as available to us as, now as he was for these guys right here. Sorry, we're at church, but nobody seems to believe that Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, is resurrected. He is as available to us right now as he was to these disciples right here. Okay, we somewhat believe it today. Now come and have some breakfast. It's my love language right there. Just not fish for me, please. If, if this was, I mean, obviously they were Jewish, so bacon was out. Uh, but if I had to eat this, the miracle would be that it turned into bacon when it went in my mouth. All things are possible. That's out of context, but I'm going to use it. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. He was very particular about how he showed up. And what's cool is that Thomas is here. I believe this is the moment where Thomas transitions. We can just let Thomas off the hook. He's moved from doubting Thomas to believing Thomas. He's already made the transition. You know, he was doubting Thomas. He's got a bad rap because he's kind of inquisitive. If you're a person who likes to ask a lot of questions, God bless you. Um, but he was asking a lot of questions until he could see it, and then he saw it, and then he could believe. And Jesus is like, listen, that's awesome that, that now that you can see it, you can believe. But let's, he's like, I just, I just want to give a shout out to everyone who can believe it without seeing it. So here they are having this brunch on the beach. Jesus showed up previously to a locked room. That was awesome. Showed up again to another locked room. And every time he shows up, he says, peace be with you. He says, peace be with you because people freak out. When you show up randomly, Jesus Christ, good to see you. Fully resurrected. These wounds are real. Put your hands in them. Put your hands, put your hands there. Put your hands in it. Thomas, don't doubt me. Here, let me eat this fish. He literally, the one time he shows up, they're like, they're freaking out. They're thinking he's a ghost. He's like, fine, let me prove that I'm not a ghost. He makes a snack and he eats a snack in front of him. He's like, listen, I, I couldn't digest if I was a ghost, right? He's like, I'm not a ghost. So every time Jesus shows up, he says, peace, peace be with you. So he's, he's, he's just like, he's just like chill. Now they're kind of getting used to it. They're like, we're not even going to doubt that this is Jesus. We know this is Jesus. This is Jesus showing up. Now here's what's crazy. Jesus shows up and is still showing up. And then let me explain to you what I mean. Did you know that today, literally happening right now in our era, there are people across the globe that are making decisions to follow Jesus. Now that shouldn't surprise you. But in Muslim nations specifically, 25% of all people who make a decision to follow Jesus make that decision because Jesus showed up to them in a vision or a dream. That's happening right now. That's real. Like, this is real time. Let me uh, tell you about Khalil, a radical Egyptian terrorist charged uh, for murder. He's changed from a murderous Saul to a forgiving Paul. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, read Acts 9. He set out to discredit the Bible, but he could not. And though he despised Christians and Jews, his heart was changed forever when Jesus appeared to him in a dream that he describes it as penetrating his soul. Jesus shows up right now in real time. Let's talk about Khosro, a teenager in Iran. You know, sometimes have you ever like wondered like, how, like, Jesus, like, if you're the one way, like, how are people going to know, like, if, if we don't go and, you know, so we're compelled and we go and we do missions and all those things. But what about the people, like, in Iran? We can't get there. Like, how, what about there? Can I tell you, the, the church in Iran is exploding. And Jesus takes care of business. He just shows, so he's like, yeah, that's great. You can't get in there. It's no problem. I'm just going to, I'll just meet them in their dreams. Excuse me, what? So Khosro, a teenager in Iran uh, who was depressed, had a vision and experience with Jesus. In the vision, Jesus extended his hand towards Khosro, inviting to him to take hold and promising him that his life would forever change. 
Cosro took Jesus' hand, and as he describes it, waves of electricity flowed through my body over and over again. He says, I wept for the first time since I was a child, and joy filled my heart. Because how many know that when you reach out and you hold on to the hand of the one who holds the world, that things are different? Things are different. Things shift, things change. Here, here's the reality. For, most, for those of us who've been believers for a long time, we forget about the transforming power of Jesus. We just get comfortable. We get caught up in a rhythm, right? We get caught up in a rhythm. We come here on Sunday. You come in, and either the music's perfect or too loud. And you're just like, listen, I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep coming because the preaching's so great. Pastor Jeremy's so great. Every once in a while, they get this other guy, and he's fine. But, and you get into that rhythm, like, I'm really just here for the coffee, <laughs> Or I'm here for the hangs, I'm here for the community, I'm here for the community impact. We get into this rhythm, and that's what it looks like to be a 21st century Christian. What if looking like being a 21st century Christian was literally walking and talking with Jesus? What if we lived in a realm of obedience that was just like, God, you want me to do that? I'm going to do that. I love this. In John 5, 17, Jesus says, listen, my father's always working, so so am I. That's like the call of a believer. Like, how do we do this? Well, my father's always working, so so am I. My father's always working. He's always taking care of things. He's always working things out, and I'm just in the middle of it. So when he just asks me to go do that thing or say that thing or be that person, I'm just going to show up, and I'm going to do it because my father's always working, so I'm just going to step into his plan. I'm going to step into his purpose. We put so much pressure on ourselves to make things happen. Are you one of those people? I'm a type A person. You probably cannot tell. I don't actually know what type A is. I've just been labeled with that my entire life. I like to call it productive. I'm a productive person, right? I just like to get things done. I like to see things accomplished. But the truth is, I am limited in my natural ability. We've got a saying around here. I hope you still say it. We follow Jesus. All right, it's still active. It's still, still going. When we introduce that language, it's actually based off of Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The Lord delights in every step of the righteous. I think sometimes people think we say things and we just like say things. That's literally the way that we're called to live. We just follow Jesus. We just take the next step. That's it. You don't have to have the end game figured out. Some of us get so distracted by trying to figure out like, okay, this door is opening, so if I like do this thing, and if I take this step here, then what does that mean for this, 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 and this, and this? And we spend so much time wrestling through the details. Let me, can I just, can I just encourage you, when Jesus tells you to do something, when he speaks to you, when he speaks to the depth of your soul, and you know that you know, can I just implore you please to just do it? Just take that step and let me remind you that delayed obedience is disobedience. When we hesitate, right? We're like, oh, is it him? No, no, no. We just respond to his goodness. Why? Because Jesus showed up and is showing up. And he wants to show up in this next season in you, through you, and around you. Jesus wants to show up in your neighborhood. Here's the thing. We pray crazy prayers, but we don't want it to actually happen, right? We're like, Jesus, please just reach my neighborhood. My neighbor's the worst. Please save them or move them. And he's like, hey, why don't you go over and uh, invite them over for a barbecue because I think they're going through a hard time. And you're like, no. 
He's like, but you just, you just prayed. You asked me to move in this situation. You invited me in. You know, I invited you in. I didn't invite me in. Same thing. Same thing. Sometimes, like, we pray, and we're like, God, by some miracle, would you do it? And he's like, you're the miracle. You're like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Lord, my cash flow is not allowing me to be the miracle. He's like, don't you remember that I'm the provider in the universe? I do remember that, but I haven't seen that in real time yet, so I'm just going to hold off. I'm, I'm distracted. Let's get back. John 21. You still with me? This is the moment right here. Verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And so let's be honest, Peter was hurt. Code words for deeply offended. Christian deeply offended. I cannot believe that he would say that to me. You're talking to Jesus Christ. He can say whatever he wants. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. You notice what didn't get said in that conversation? What didn't get said? This is going to... Jesus didn't say, I love you. He didn't say it back. He just said, feed my sheep. You know, the other night, Des is not here, so we can go here. Um, the other night, you know, we were getting ready for, for bed, you know, shutting things down the old household, Esslinger household, and we're both doing things to get ready, and Des was probably getting ready for kids' lunches or something, and I yell after her as she's walking out of the room, love you, and I don't think she heard me because she just responded, yeah. I was like, yeah? But I didn't say that right away. I waited. I harbored bitterness for a few minutes. I was like in my Peter moment, just hurt and offended. What did I say? What did I do? I said three times. I said, I love you. I don't know. She comes up to bed and she's like, love you. I was like, yeah? <laughs> so in this moment, Jesus doesn't say, I love you. And we're kind of like, is that weird that he doesn't say, I love you back? It wasn't weird because Peter, like John, who identified himself as one who is loved, deeply loved, by Jesus. Peter already understood himself to be deeply loved by Jesus. He knew the never-ending, unfailing love of Jesus. He had seen it. He had tasted it. He had experienced what Peter didn't realize in, in this moment is this was another one of those flashback full circle moments. Why? Because Jesus Christ had said to Peter, Peter said, listen, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna give you up, never gonna let you down. He said that. He said that. And Peter, Jesus is like, listen, you will. You're going to betray me three times. And Peter's like, nah, I'm in it for the long haul. And what do you know? 
on the night of Jesus' crucifixion, or sorry, trial, and his arrest, Peter denied him three times. Two out of three times to a child around a fire. On the third time, Peter's eyes met Jesus' eyes. This is Luke 22. The moment that Peter, for the last time, denied Jesus. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. Now, I don't know about you. When I read that, when I read that their eyes met, I've always read it as a disappointed glance. That Jesus looks at Peter, he's like, told you. I think I got it wrong. I think when Jesus looked across that courtyard, at the moment that Peter said, I don't know, I don't know him, I don't know anything about him. Jesus looked at him, and when they locked eyes, Jesus' eyes were filled with never-ending, unfailing love. How do we know that? Because that's how Jesus is described. His character is described in John 1, which is really an echo of Exodus 34, which is the most quoted Bible verse by the Bible in the entire Bible. And it describes the very nature of God as full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So in that moment, in the midst of Peter's failure, Jesus shows up with unfailing love and faithfulness. And he looks across the courtyard and something in his eyes says, I love you and don't you forget it. In the midst of your failure, even though you fulfilled exactly what I said, the eyes of love for Jesus, for that man, are overwhelming and so strong that he didn't have to say it on the beach. Now get this. Every other character, person, historical person who lived in the midst of this Easter narrative, Jesus looked at them. And he loved them with never-ending eyes of love. Like Peter, sorry, Pilate, sitting on a judgment seat, his wife literally sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, who was a terrorist, to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted, Barabbas! Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. Here's what's wild. First of all, Pilate was sitting on a judgment seat trying to figure out what he's going to do with Jesus who sits on the judgment seat of the universe. That's wild to me that his wife's getting nightmares about his handling of this guy. 
She's like, just careful what you do. That he thinks that he could just simply go and wash his hands and he's okay. That that he that he's that he's taking care of. That that he's just washing the blood off of his hands. No, no, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Then think about this guy Barabbas. Who's Barabbas? He was actually a, a Jewish terrorist, and he was there an insurrectionist trying to lead a rebellion to set them free because they were living under Roman oppression. And they thought the Jewish people thought that when the Messiah came, that he wasn't just going to establish a, a heavenly kingdom, but he was going to establish an earthly kingdom kingdom, that they were going to rule and reign with him in a natural kingdom, that he would conquer all of their military enemies. But Jesus showed up in a whole other way. You know, it doesn't surprise me that the crowd shouted for Barabbas, because you could say, as much of humanity does, we as humans prefer a Messiah that's made in our own image instead of the one who looks like Jesus. Because we have our own preconceptions about how our situation should work out, how Jesus should work out in our lives, how he should save us and deliver us. We have our own preferences. When Jesus looks at Pilate, he looked at him full of eyes of love. When Jesus looks at Barabbas, when he thinks about Barabbas, He doesn't think, why him instead of me? He looks at him and goes, I love him. When Jesus thinks about and he looks at that, every voice and every face in the crowd, you and I go, man, I hate them. How could they do this to him? And Jesus goes, don't hate them because I love them. But this is where it gets even crazier. Matthew 27, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders, and he said, I've sinned. I've betrayed an innocent man. And they said, what do we care? That's your problem. If there's kids in the room, this is probably a good time for earmuffs. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hung himself, hanged himself. How do you think that Jesus looks at Judas? You might low-key hate him. Jesus loves him with unfailing love and faithfulness. Pilate, who condemned him? Love. Herod, the guy who became BFFs with Pilate, the other government leader who condemned him? Love him. Religious high priest? Love him. Barabbas? Love him. Peter? Rejected? Denied him? Love him. Brett? Makes all kinds of mistakes? Screws up all the time? Loves him. Brendan Paulson loves him. (laughs) It's the ridiculousness of the love of God that it has no limits. Our natural love has natural limitations. It's limited to generally what benefits us. Jesus' love does not stop. 
That's how I can stand here and I can confidently say to you that if you're in this room today and you're, you're questioning your existence, you're going through all kinds of things, you're dealing with anxiety, you're going through all kinds of struggles, and you're trying to question, should I even keep living? Can I just tell you, does anyone think about me? Does anyone love me? That when Jesus looks at you, he looks at you with his eyes of love, and they are full of unfailing love and faithfulness. The book of Hebrews says he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's not going to abandon you. Psalm 23 says, surely his goodness and mercy has been chasing you down your entire life. So though you've been going your own way, he's been chasing you down. He's just waiting for you to stop so you can get hit and wrapped up with a wave of his love. Because that's just who he is. It's his nature. It's his nature. In the Gospels, this is Dr. Daryl Johnson, genius theologian, pastor. He says this, in the Gospels, Jesus goes wherever he is invited. Anywhere he's invited, he goes. You're a religious leader who's looking to condemn him, maybe trap him, maybe murder him. Jesus is coming over. You're Mary and Martha. One of you is distracted about cleaning the house. The other one just wants to sit at Jesus' feet. Jesus is coming over. You're Zacchaeus who literally is hanging out in a tree like a weirdo. Jesus is coming over. Jesus is coming over. There's not a time. Where Jesus is invited, he doesn't show up. So let's go on a first full circle moment. Remember that moment at the end of worship when I said, hey, Jesus is here, right here, right now. And he wants to show up. He wants to show up for you if only you would invite him in. If only you would invite him into your brokenness. If only you would invite him into your pain. And only you would invite him into your career decisions. If only you would invite him into your marriage. If only you would invite him into your family. If only you would invite him into your insecurity. Guess what? Everywhere that Jesus is invited, Jesus shows up. If only you would invite him into your joy and your success. Instead of defining yourself by it, you could define yourself by a never-ending, unfailing love of Jesus. If only you would invite him in. Jesus will show up. Because he loves you. He looks at you with eyes of love. Every major miracle in scripture has this phrase attached to it. Jesus was moved with compassion. When Jesus looks at you and he looks at your situation, you go, God, what am I going to do? Jesus is moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. This is John 1, verse 14, as the team comes. So the word became human, meaning Jesus. And he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. It's just who he is. Now you think about these little moments, and you think about these little like coincidences that I don't often believe in. 
I believe that my mission here today is to simply remind you that Jesus loves you. It's unquestionable. It's unwavering. It's not circumstantial. He loves you whether you're walking away from him or you're walking towards him. He loves you. That's why he showed up in the first place to express his love, to express his father's love for God so loved. He didn't just kind of love. God so loved the world. But God so loved you that he sent Jesus Christ to do what he had to do so that you could invite him in, that you could be close, that you could know without any restriction, without any barrier, the depth of his love for you. It's my job today simply to convey the depth of the love of God. So imagine my shock when I show up here to, to worship and all of a sudden they're singing, oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Loves us so. Because I don't know who you are. You might be the most seasoned believer or you might be just walking in here out of guilt. You might have walked in here under guilt or under the compulsion of guilt, but my friend, today you can walk out of here loved. You can walk out of here loved. You're like, that's it? Jesus loves me? That's the message? That's the message. Because most of us don't believe it to the degree with which Jesus intended it. All-consuming, never-ending love. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.